imagine with me for just a moment that you are uh, at the hospital uh, fixing to have uh, surgery. For some, that's not as hard of an imagination uh, as for others. But imagine you are going into the hospital, you are getting robed, you are getting prepared to go back and be operated on. Now, you can use your imagination however you want. You could be having knee surgery, you could be having pinky surgery, you could be having whatever surgery you want, but you're going to have surgery and it needs to be fixed. You're ready and you lay there on the cart ready to be wheeled back and no one comes. wait and you wait and you start walking back opening the door seeing hallway after hallway and not a person around and you're like um excuse me i've got an appointment for a surgery no one and you continue to walk back and you see sign after sign that says operating room like maybe maybe everybody's in there. I, 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 yeah, I'll just follow the hospital signs and go back to the operating room again. No one is there. You know that you need this surgery. You know that you need this operation and no one is there to help you. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That would not happen Lord willing, you know that in the midst of a surgery, there is a surgeon. There are teams of doctors that are surrounding the table, surrounding the patient that have experience, again, Lord willing, in those specific instances that have studied for years. They have apprenticed uh, for years. They have operated for years. They have a specific ability and a specific knowledge and a specific power that you don't have. You cannot sit on the operating table and try to do your operation on yourself. It's impossible. It's impossible. The same is true when we think of conversion. We can't do it ourselves. As we're here in our third sermon on how does conversion come about? What is its cause? I've kind of let my cards uh, out on the table in previous sermons. But what is conversion's cause? We know if we've been following along that we need it. That because of our sin, the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we need not just a bandage, we need a total and complete renewal. We need to be, as Jesus tells uh, Nicodemus, you need, you must be born again. So hopefully the answer to do we need conversion is already solidified in your mind. And if, and hopefully it is, what causes then conversion? What is conversion's cause? I defined in our first sermon on this series that conversion is the mysterious activity of the triune God whereby a sinner being convicted of sin and need of salvation upon hearing the gospel repents 
trust Jesus and is miraculously born again. Conversion is the mysterious activity of the triune God whereby a sinner being convicted of sin and need of salvation upon hearing the gospel repents, trusts Jesus, and is miraculously born again. You may hear that definition and think, well, I know where you're going with this. Conversion is this. Conversion is that. It's caused by this or it's caused by that. Some on this argument or this theological position might say God alone makes this happen. And then others on the other side of the fence would say man makes this happen by their free will and free choice they call out in repentance uh, to jesus turning from their sin and trusting in christ man makes that happen i want to give the old-fashioned game show both of those things work in cooperation together That just as I've said in earlier sermons on conversion, God is not converting those who don't desire to be converted. God is converting those who desire to know Him, to be made new. There is a call and response that we as humans are responsible to give. And our response is to be uh, in worship and obedience to Jesus. But it is also a divine work of God to make us new. So these two ideas that conversion is caused and accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And secondly, that conversion is caused and accomplished by the response of man will guide our time this morning. And I've told you that this series is different. It is more stretching than what I'm used to. (laughs) At some points, I wish we could just go back uh, to something else, like even Genesis. But if you would, stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. We've heard this before in this series. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of his word. You may be seated. We've seen in this short study in conversion that we must be made new. We see all throughout the Old Testament that we must have new hearts. And it uses this Israelite operation room 
analogy in the book of Deuteronomy that I think is a continued reminder to emphasize to us that it's God himself who does this. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, we see this reminder of this covenant of being made new, uh, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. My subheading says, circumcise your heart. In essence, make your heart new. Deuteronomy 10, beginning in verse 12, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Let's just pause there real quick. What, what else is there, O Israel? Just do these things. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We've seen uh, in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Instruct the next generations to continue uh, to do that very thing. And here, uh, Moses again receives word from the Lord, do these things. Circumcise your heart. Love the Lord your God. Walk in fear with Him. Walk in all His ways. Love Him. Serve Him with all your heart, with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Is, is that not what I've said? That's a pretty easy thing. No, it's not. But, in the grace and kindness of God, he doesn't leave them hanging of, hey, I, I mean, all I, all I wanted is for you to love me with all that you are, to fear me in a way that recognizes I am God and you are not, to walk in my ways, to obey my commandments. That's it. That's all. It would be a mighty uh, inconsistency of the character of God to just say, hey, here's the stipulation and you're just not going to do it. You don't have the capacity to do that. And that's exactly what happens here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. But in the kindness and grace of God, it doesn't stop in chapter 10, verse 12. But it says, in verse 14, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Do these things. I would encourage slash challenge you to read Deuteronomy 10 verses 19 through the, the rest of Deuteronomy until you get to chapter 30 because you see all of these stipulations that on surface you might be like, what on earth? Why can't we eat that? Why can't we touch that? Praise be to God who sent Christ and has made 
all things uh, pure in him uh, to be able to eat. But we have this looming reality that the Israelites cannot do this. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Don't worship other idols. Walk in all of my ways. Do these things. For they know that they can't. That from Deuteronomy chapter 10 through Deuteronomy chapter 29, you see all of the stacked up requirements that they cannot meet. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcasts or in the uttermost parts of heaven from there, and the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possess, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Here's where we're going to, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Brothers and sisters, when we have trusted in Christ, have turned from our sin and turned to Christ, that new creation that Paul talks about in First or Second Corinthians, it has happened for us. And what does that look like? It, it looks like we went from being required to love God and having no ability to do so to where God has changed our hearts so that we love him. Who is the one causing that to come to fruition? God. God is doing that. God is saying, Deuteronomy chapter 10, circumcise therefore your own hearts. You can't do it. But I can. And I will. And He has in Jesus Christ. He has given the opportunity through the resurrection of Jesus, through the power of the gospel, for those who turn to him. The Spirit of God makes us new. God causes it. But wait, we can't just stay there. Because in Romans chapter 10, we see that you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You can ask me more about this if you'd prefer uh, when we get done, but there is a, a, a under the surface working of a heart that has not been uh, drawn soft by the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God. We could not even believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We, even in that, need new hearts. And again, this is caused by the triune 
God. There's a reason why I say it's a mysterious activity. But what is not a mystery is that for those who believe in their hearts and confess with their mouth, they have been converted. If that's you, you've been made new. So the Lord works in the heart of those who are sinners to draw about this new life, to radically transform and alter, uh, to make them new, to make us new. But it's not simply caused and accomplished by God. It's also caused and accomplished by the response of man. Draw you back to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and following. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. As one former or the late theologian J.I. Packer says this is a, an, uh, an antinomy. This is a seemingly uh, co- competing view. Either God does it or man does it. Packer comes and stands in the middle and says, they both do. That would be the biblical position of conversion. That apart from the confession of a sinner calling out in repentance to Christ, one cannot be converted. One cannot be made new. If you turn to Acts chapter 9 and you go to one of the most notorious conversion stories in all of the Bible, Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road, converted, then given the name of Paul. You say, he doesn't really give a verbal assent. It's it's a narrative. It's Paul's words in Romans chapter 10 that says these are the prerequisites. But what do we see? We see the uh, work of God in speaking to Ananias, saying this Paul, this Saul of Tarsus, who's persecuting the church, I have chosen, I've set aside as an instrument for my good. And Paul is saved, he's converted. For undoubtedly, Romans chapter 10, as he writes later in his life, was true on that Damascus road, or as Ananias is proclaiming the gospel to him, that he confessed with his mouth. Certainly Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, knows enough to believe, but he needed a new heart. And that came to him on the Damascus road. Conversion is caused and accomplished by God. Conversion is caused and accomplished by the response of man. It's in one sense a catch-22 of how does this operation work. And if you were to pick up a theology textbook or other work, they would tell you this is the sequential order of this operation. That's not my intention. 
God does it. God makes us new by his spirit. He gives us the spirit of God at Pentecost. It goes just as he tells Nicodemus, like the sound of the rushing wind. It's unseen. But what is seen is the confession. That is why it is so important among believers to know what it is they're confessing to. That's why in marriage we proclaim vows. That's why in church membership we proclaim vows. That's why probably when the church was founded, they wrote a covenant. It may have changed and been adapted as things change from now uh, back in 1920. But there was some understanding that we need to know what we are covenanting to. We need to know what we're confessing. And what is a credible confession? Credible confession is that which recognizes our own sin. That which recognizes our own sin. And our need of salvation. Now, I love being able to hear folks starting to see it click. I'm like, well, uh, God saved me at a young age. Praise God. How did he do it? The word being preached, and I feel like I should say the gospel. Yes! Praise God. Had you asked me 10, 15 years ago, Sean, how did you get saved? How did you come to know the Lord? It would have been a little different than I would have understood it now. Because my understanding of Scripture is different now. But it's a confession of my sin before God. I didn't know the specific sins, but I knew I was a sinner. I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew that there was a holy God who... Uh, was, is judge. He is just. He is righteous. And sin cannot be sustained. Sin cannot be near to God. What's the implication there? If I am a sinner and he is not, I can't be with him. I have no part with something that is so light and I am so dark. I wouldn't have talked like that at 8, 10, 15 22. But that's the truth. I was a sinner. And I found a gracious Savior. That's awesome, Sean. Who? Sometimes we forget the who. Let us never grow weary of this who. Who, who is this? I feel like an owl. Who? Who? Jesus. That it's by Christ. It is Him who does this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we've read this many times. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
I am a great sinner, and he is a great savior, and his name is Jesus. I've talked with many of you about my disdain for a certain song that talks about the power in the name, and it literally zero times in this four-minute song says the name of Jesus. There's power in the name, but we're not going to say it. Jesus saved us through his work on the cross, through his resurrection. We believed. We believed and are being made in his image. We were born in the image of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And because our brother Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life where Adam and Eve failed our perfect brother has kept the law perfectly laid his life down where adam would pass it away for those who believe in this jesus are being made into his image being transferred from the image of our first parent adam dominion of darkness the dominion of sin into the dominion of God's beloved Son. What was once made good in the garden, tarnished by sin, Jesus himself is making new again in conversion. If you would turn from your sin and turn to Christ, for conversion is caused and accomplished by God. And it is caused and accomplished by the response of man. For a repentant heart must be made new. For one must be born again. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Let's pray.